The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast. I'm Brett McKay. Four Australian teams have won in a dominant Super Rugby Pacific display. The Chiefs are no longer unbeaten and Leinster have an Achilles heel after all. And your place for the biggest and best discussion is the Raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate. A wonderful, wonderful chat with top Australian referee Angus Gardner last week and the reaction to it has been Nothing short of incredible, in all honesty, uh, as we got first-hand insights into the often assumed but not very well-known uh, world of professional refereeing, and we thank him profusely. I did indeed thank him profusely on Sunday when we crossed paths, and obviously we congratulate him on his Rugby World Cup selection. And joining me this and every week, the man who might genuinely overtake my not insignificant Twitter following by the Rugby World Cup, Harry Jones. Hello, mate. How's it, Brett? Yeah, I try to provide value to my Twitter followers. It's kind of like that Penrith coffee shop in the western suburbs that is now selling a coffee for $1,500 per cup. It brings yeah. customers to tears and you have to make an appointment. That's how I want my Twitter to be. Right, eh? Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. We each, should say each, that each tweet is existential. It yeah. changes your life and it also makes you both smarter and dumber at the same time. <laughs> Look, whatever you're doing, it's working. This time last year, you had about 20 followers. And what are you up to now? <laughs> Two and a half thousand? I never tweeted. The pod, the pod made me tweet. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, heroes and zeros. I'm leading off. I've mentioned, and the heroes for you this week is Australian rugby. Now, I mentioned the four Australian teams have had a win, and everyone sort of thinks, when was the last time that four Australian teams won on the same weekend? And I can tell you, courtesy... Uh, of uh, of Twitter follower Rob, who uh, let me know that the last time four Australian teams won the same weekend in Super Rugby was round five of 2014. And that mm. weekend, the Brumbies beat the Cheetahs, the Reds beat the Rebels, the Waratahs beat the Stormers, and the Force beat the Highlanders. So 2014, nine years. That's happy days. That is quite amazing. One of those stats you say, and it kind of makes you sad as well. Yeah, but, true, um, true, yeah. true. Hit me so, with your zero. My zero is a uh, noted commentator and uh, full of bollocks man, Stephen Jones from the Sunday Times, who put out a, put an article, published an article in the Sunday Times bemoaning the state of rugby and how we're all going down the toilet. And just to lead that off, he was talking about Twickenham and how that the game yesterday had this many people and Twickenham told him that tomorrow will be 25,000 people in the seventh yes. tournament. The Sevens tournament was in Toulouse. Yes, uh, yes. So London it, Sevens that he was referencing is in two weeks' time, isn't it? It uncloaked him as someone who was just making up <laughs> conversations out of nothing. And I, I was there for that. I loved it because he was unveiled. Because he's been doing yeah. that for a long time. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 and it's interesting to note that the uh, that the aforementioned article is no longer visible. <laughs> <laughs> on the publication's website. Mate, let's just get straight on to this week's guest. Uh, and we've said since day one that we've been blessed with guests um, from the moment we started the pod. But even we have to concede that there simply aren't many bigger names in world rugby than who joins us this week. The Raw Rugby Podcast. To the pod Sydney studios we head once again to where we offer our genuine thanks and the warmest of welcomes to a man who just needs no further introduction Listeners, Harry, rugby fans the world over, John Eels. 
God. Oh, no, do we, do we applaud? Oh, guys. Do we bow? What do we do? <laughs> well, um, no, you're very, very, very generous in your introduction. You must have spoken to mum before, uh, before we came on. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to send her an invoice as well, she said. She was very interested <laughs> in that. Yeah. Look, thank We We know you don't. You don't do much media anymore. We certainly know you don't do too many podcasts uh, now, now and then. But of all the podcasts in the rugby world, you've picked us, John. Well, you know, I've heard a lot about it. And uh, now you had a really good list of people. No, it's, it's, always <laughs> great. Um, it's always great to, you know, to be able to have a bit of a chat about rugby. And, mm. uh, and, and particularly in a year like this, there's a lot going on. Yeah. And it also helps that it's after uh, after the Reds had such a good win last weekend in Super Rugby. Well, and we'll get onto that in in very in very very short time. No worry about that. Uh, I mean, I look at I look at things that you've achieved over your years. You know, you're, you won a Super Ten title back before the game went professional. You were the Bledisloe breaker of Kiwi Hearts, a World Cup captain. You're forever in debt to Toto Kefu. You've been a commentator, a columnist. You're a business and sport consultant, a company director. What on the significant list of achievements doesn't get enough attention of yours? Do we not make enough of your first grade cricket career with UQ? <laughs> um, yeah, look, it wasn't a career where I covered myself in glory, I don't think. Look, I loved cricket. I played a lot <laughs> yeah. more cricket growing up than rugby, but it's, uh, yeah, no, look, I don't think I was on any list of, of uh, top wicket takers. In fact, I may not have been on any list of wicket takers, full stop. <laughs> I can't, you you were um, a bowler? That's, that's what you're revealing? Well... I was. Uh, I probably consider myself more of a batsman, and they picked me more as a bowler. So, um, <laughs> what does yeah, that say so about your batting? It's John Hill. Yeah. He's an all-rounder. Of course, he was yeah, all-rounder. Yeah, but I, <laughs> yeah, look, I played. Right. I played a lot more second grade and third grade, probably than first grade. But I did play a little bit of first grade that's... first year year or so out of school. And um, I, I, I say, John, that's where the true cricket's played. Yes. The, you know, look, I, mean, I love going to watch the cricket still. I love going, watching mm. the rugby, of course, too. But um, our son plays a bit of cricket and, I, you know, I love, love going to watch it. Actually, all the kids' sport is great to watch. He plays you know, more a, than a bit of cricket. And there's a theory, John, about if you grow up with more than one sport and you have that, it really helps you in the sport you end up choosing. Now, Victor Matfield was a great cricketer as well coming up, and at some point someone told him you have to pick one or the other. But he still had that cricket skills. And now that I say that, you can think about how he played the good hands, anticipation. So do you think that helped you in your rugby career? Yeah, I do, Harry. I, I think there's there's so much. People are trying to get, and part of it's the war for talent across all of sports. Mm. They're trying to get athletes to, um, to to choose at a much earlier stage than we ever had to choose. Right. And so, you know, I played cricket, did a bit of high jump, used to play a bit of basketball. And there is no doubt that each of those sports would have helped me in rugby in some way. Mm. And it's just the general communication, sorry, general um, skills that you develop. But but I think it's also the the different way the body adapts to yeah. um, to different forms of exercise. And the skills of basketball are quite different from the skills of rugby and mm. and the skills of cricket. But but each of them build their own levels of resilience uh, mm. in the body and probably help you out more than they hinder yeah. you, that's yeah. for sure. It's got to aid flexibility and, and things like that. There's no mm. no question about that. So the interesting takeaway out of all this is that as a cricketer, John Eels made a very good rugby lock. <laughs> is that what we're concluding? That's fair? Oh, look, I, I think it is very fair to say that um, that I would never have achieved anything near in, in cricket what I did, <laughs> as what I did in yeah. rugby. And it was interesting either as well because I, I did, never really felt I had to make a choice. Um, yeah, yeah. Others assume you had to make a choice, but 
but rugby just sort of happened really quickly. Yeah. Like I was playing Colts rugby and grade cricket and then all of a sudden the end of Colts rugby when I was lining up for another season of cricket, I got picked in the state squad. Now, John Connolly was running that state squad. The state squad was about 65 people. So it, you, you, it was harder not to be picked in the state yeah. squad than it was to be picked in the state <laughs> squad. In but I, I made myself available. I did every single training session or you know gym session. I was pretty weak and all of that. But I did everything that I possibly could. And just because it interested me, I thought, oh, mm. you know, this, this is this is fun. I'm, you know, gee, I'm training with some guys that have played for Queensland, and and then it just happened really quickly in rugby for me. And yeah. um, after that, never did before that, but after that, it uh, it really happened quite quickly. Yeah, timing's timing's everything. It really it mm. really is, isn't it? Yeah. The first question we uh, we ask every week, John, we always start in the same place, and it's simply to say what stood out for you on on the rugby weekend. And I suspect that you've already hinted on what stood out for you. Yeah, I think it is for, for me being a you know having played all my rugby in Queensland uh, for brothers and um, and and Queensland, it was. Yeah, it was the Reds win. And yeah. even little things in that Reds win. Um, there's a guy I used to play a bit with called Mike James and and his son came on the field for the last part of the game for the Reds. Uh, oh, so yeah, his right. First, first game ever. And um, uh, so you just, you know, from your, from your club to be, they're able to be involved in such a special win for Queensland. And, mm. yeah, I watched that and it was, a, you know, very exciting. Yeah, yeah, Harry. What's to that? What'd you What'd you pick on the weekend? Yeah, that, that two percent uh, chance of victory with only six penalties was pretty salty for the Reds. I, yeah, for me, it was the semi-finals and the style of play that wins. So the Stormers running away from Connacht with only thirty-nine percent of the ball. Yeah, uh, Munster surviving a brawl in Dublin. Uh, Sale uh, being street smarter than uh, Leicester. Mm. I think when you're looking at these kind of matches and maybe even the hints of it in the Crusaders Blues 15-3, the scoreline shrinks, right? Um, And I think some of the um, kind of NBA style rugby is going to go away as we get to the pointy end of the season. And I thought it was really fun to watch the Munster win over Leinster shows another thing, which is you cannot win without your best team. You try to play games and get cute, you'll get caught. Yeah. yeah, no, very true, very true. I, I like the fact that I'm thinking of the the Waratahs and the Brumbies particularly, and I like the fact that both teams, when the, opp- when the opportunity suddenly presented itself, they put the opposition away. And mm. both of those games were 50-50s until, <laughs> you know, reasonably late in the contest. Uh, Brumbies scored one try, suddenly they had a second, then and then all of a sudden they're playing for that seventh and, and the bonus point try. And, then, and the Waratahs as well, they just... That was a really, really interesting contest with the Rebels. And then they just had that moment where they just suddenly were well in control, John, wasn't it? They they just suddenly did what they had to do. And then, you know, they play at the last, what, seven or eight minutes and they really had it pretty comfortable in the end. Yeah. And and I think, you know, what, what we've got in Australian rugby among some of the teams at the moment is is not a lot of experience right across the board. And yeah. You know, say in the Waratahs' perspective, but we're starting to see um, some really mature and probably in some ways mature beyond their years performances mm. from from guys in the team. The Brumbies, of course, have got a you know they've had a very strong system for years, and they keep yeah. bringing people through, and they they believe in their system, and because they believe in it, they trust their system. Yeah, and mm. the system doesn't change much. 
And yeah. I, you, know, you get the feeling that when they select a new coach and a lot of the coaches have come from within there, that the coach knows the system. They don't change certain aspects. Look, there'll, there'll be ta tactical changes. But when you've got, when you, uh, when you um, narrow down or, or lessen the moving parts that you've got to work with, it becomes easier to to develop mm. skills within those moving, you know, a yeah. fewer number of moving parts. And I think that's really the the gift and the skill of the of mm. the um, Brumbies. Yeah, they Hudson Crichton made his um, comeback to Super Rugby. He's been playing club rugby in Canberra for a couple of weeks now. He's the thirty seventh player they've used this year, and they yeah. haven't. I mean, they've had a few injuries here and there, but it's mostly been by necessity. You know, mm. and and like thirty-seven players. I think it's it's ten or eleven debutants as well. So, it's a it's a massive number. But like you say, it's it's working. The system works, and and they and they're going wrong. Do, do you like what's building around around the country? The the rebels are a lot better team than they were this time last week. And even with the loss, they're still they're not completely done yet. They they still they're still capable of causing a few a few upsets from here and there, and and, and maybe sneak into eight. So there's things building around the country, isn't there? Yeah, there, there are, and I think everyone saw that last year as well when the Wallabies came together and, you know, they had the very narrow loss against the All Blacks in Melbourne, which was mm. all but one. I mean, you can never count them and, and the scoreboard says we mm. lost. But Yeah, because of know, a Frenchman that we don't mention anymore, John. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I reckon he would have got a few mentions. On we don't have the time. time to talk about him. No, no we don't. Um, and we just get angry again. <laughs> that was heartbreaking. Watching that was heartbreaking. Um, but uh, And then then the end of season two, you had the brilliant performances yeah. against the French and, and the Irish. And Ireland, yeah. just weren't quite finished. And you, you, look, you look at that and say, well, we were definitely on the road, so we we and we had a lot of people out. So, but we mm. still had the basis of a team that could compete with the absolute best in the world, and will mm. be better this year. Eddie will bring his own flavour to the, to that team, and will will take it to a different level. And I think Dave was building it. He, you know, mm. I think he would probably be one of the first to acknowledge that he's inherited some very good players yeah. who are starting to develop that confidence among themselves. So. And as a team, so Eddie is well trained, well versed in in bringing teams together and bringing them together pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah looks, he's got a good, yeah, good record. John, to me, when I look back at the the heydays, you know, the pinnacle of Wallaby success, which was well, you were part and parcel of it, a leader in it. The Wallabies were always so opportunistic. Um, they were so quick. It played so quick. I'm not talking about you know sprinting speed. I'm talking about moving the ball and finding the space. And it looks like to me there's a few things happening in Super Rugby that could um, combine with overseas players. It could work uh, on, a, on a good draw. Do you see them, the Wallabies, having a good run at this uh, World Cup? I think they could do. Um, and you're right. Like the draws, you know, it's a lot better than being on the other side the draws, of the draw. The draw is wonderful. It's absolutely yeah. wonderful. <laughs> but when it comes down to it, you've still there's still the games that you have to win yeah. under pressure in a World Cup now. I mean, we, we've got to play Wales and Fiji. You, you can't take them for granted. And um, even, uh, yeah, Georgia is a game. Georgia beat Wales mm. you know, a year or so ago. And so you know that that's going to be a really hard game. And then you get through that and you're either going to be playing, look, I'm guessing a little bit here, but it's going to be England, Argentina or Japan. Right. Now, there's no easy game there. So it doesn't matter, even though it looks a bit lighter, than the other side where you've got top four or five teams in the mm. world, 
um, and you're pleased you're not coming up to them before a, a semi-final, it's still it's still pretty tough going. But mm. but I think uh, you know the Australian team they, they, if, if they can sort of come up with you know what is their plan, how are they going to play the game? Mm. Part of that will be reading what's in front of them. And part of it will be, you know, what are the structures that they're going to work within? And yeah. probably the challenge and what bridges the gap between those two, you know, those two ways to approach a game, you know, what are the structures that you don't deviate from? And then when do players read the game in front of them? You need some really bright people in really key positions. And, you know, you need a, a bright halfback. You need a really good 5'8 mm-hmm. who can... Um, who can you know, lift their play in these games and, and can just like and you look at when Australia won the World Cup, you, you had Nick Far Jones and Michael Liner, you know, mm. ninety one, and then you had uh, George Gregan and Stephen Larkham in ninety nine. Mm. Like that's pretty. You, you're starting with some pretty uh, good cattle. Uh, uh, pretty handy. You yeah, can I put a lot of different combinations around those yeah. those yeah. two pairs, and um, they made a lot of us look good. <laughs> right, and, and I, this may not be right, John, but looking at some of the material I read up on, you and Rod McQueen would actually sit down, and you were work you were working on the tactical plans as well, uh, and which you know rugby captains are unique in that the sort of a coach on the field. Um, and I know I probably didn't have the two four two one three three one pod plan necessarily in the nineties, but I mean, did you have um, in game shifts? Did you have an ability to inside a game when things were going wrong? to um to make tactical shifts because that's what i saw last year is lacking is the wallabies yeah when they got toweled they just couldn't stop the rot and then you know the games that played well they played well yeah we we absolutely could change tactics out in the field and occasionally you get a message from the sideline but but i think you can't you can't rely on the message from the sideline of course it wasn't just up to me um you know george gregan tim horan Mm. um yeah stephen larkham uh, Matt Burke, you know, you got the, this caliber of people. Then in the forwards, you had, you know, whether it be a Dave Wilson or a David Giffen, yeah, and yeah, Michael Foley, who, you know, name the name. Gosh. Like there was just so many that you could turn to at different stages that would give you some insight from yeah. whatever perspective yeah. you needed. So you, you could you could do that, but I think it's the uh, you know the great players are the ones who can do that on the run and the ones that control the game. Like you look at Dan Carter in the in the 2015 World Cup against the Wallabies. You know, for mine, he was the difference between those two teams. Yeah, uh, yeah. The critical moment, he just nailed a field goal. Like, you know, the way he just got them around that field. He picked he, his he, moment, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, I remember was, seeing uh, Nick, so Nick Faldo say that uh, really good amateur golfers can hit all the same shots as the top yeah. pros. It's the ability to inside your round when something is going wrong to fix your mm. swing in the middle of the yeah. swing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a skill. Uh, you've mentioned you've mentioned Eddie Jones already. What was your reaction when he was installed back or reinstalled back in January? I'd, I'd imagine like like everyone in to do with anything to do with Australian rugby, you probably went wow to start with, but what, what was your reaction? Yeah, well, I was, I was very surprised. Um, I it, it wasn't something I was expecting. Um, mm. I, I thought that uh, he would definitely be an option for down the track. And I, I suppose once it became an option, the risk was he wouldn't be an option for a long period of time mm. uh, because he's so, you know, such a, a valuable coach. Um, I, you know, I... I 
you know, I felt for Dave because I think he had yeah. done a lot. But look, it's you know, also I respect that it, it's not my decision, and and I think Eddie is one of those guys that just uh, you know you're going to get a great result from Eddie yeah. all the time. Like he he is such an astute coach. He has a love for the game. He has a great understanding of the Australian psyche, the Australian system. So you know you're going to get a good good result with Eddie mm. there. Um, yeah. And and look, it's just you know that's life sometimes. And it, I, I think I well as I said earlier, I definitely felt for for Dave. Um, uh, but but I, I feel Eddie will do a good job. Mm. Did did he ever, did you ever were you ever coached by him? Did you have, did you have any overlap, or was it would have only been maybe one year? Was it? Uh, it was four test matches. Um, yeah, right. Your I, last I four. Eddie, yeah, yeah, the last four. So look, I knew Eddie pretty well. Well, over the years, you you get to know people, and mm. we actually played together uh, when I came into grade football from Colts. I trained with the Reds, as I mentioned earlier. And then I was selected in an Australian Barbarians team to go down to Melbourne and Adelaide, and Eddie oh, was playing right. in that team. And you always, you always remember, like Tim Gavin was playing in that, Eddie Jones was, and I, I really remember very like we, we our training session for one of the games was in the car park of our, you know, um, <laughs> our hotel, and um, and but I remember going through a lineout drill, and Eddie, who was still playing back in those days, like he. Yeah, he pulled me aside. He said, "Look, this is how you've got to do this." Like there was just that, yeah. You know, that right. older player would take the younger player aside, you know, teach them as as you're going. And I had a lot of people like that in my career, but I, I remember this specific session in the car park, and it wasn't wasn't a lot. It wasn't for a long period of time, but it was really specific um, coaching on line out technique or ripping yeah, technique. Yeah, right. And um, and then. Then, uh, yeah, Rod McQueen really helped manage very smoothly the transition from him moving on from from Wallaby coach to Eddie Jones coming in as Wallaby coach. And so Eddie had been around the squad a bit. He'd obviously coached the Brumbies to, to some success. And um, and so when he came in with the Wallabies, yeah, it was a it was a pretty natural natural step. And I already had already made up my mind that I just wanted to play that year and. And finish up. I really desperately wanted to play the British and Irish Lions series. Yeah. Um, Rod retired at the end of that, but I, I wanted to finish off the the year in Australia and and play in the Tri Nations as well. So, I my Eddie's first four tests were my last four, and yeah, uh, right there you, you go. Know, we, we finished off okay. <laughs> finished off, finished off quite well indeed. What what gets you excited in a, in a rugby world cup year? I mean, you're are your own memories of the success that you enjoyed, are they just reinvigorated by the quadrennial reminders and the highlights that will inevitably be shown again? Yeah, look, I often quote, my, my, my favourite um, my favorite quote in rugby, I reckon it is, is from Jean-Pierre Reeve, and who was a, you know, has become a great friend over time. And I was once reading probably in my early years as a, as a wallaby, maybe it was early in my time as a skipper, um, I read this article that he wrote and it was translated into English. But there was a, or he, he might have written it in English, but um, obviously couldn't read French. But, uh, and there was one line and it said that rugby is a game between, with 30 men in, the, in those days, mainly men, 30, 30 men and a football. And he said, you take away the football and you've still got rugby. And to <laughs> me, that says everything 
about the game that matters. And to yeah. me, it says everything about the World Cup that matters. Because now, you know, we're, we had some great times when we played and when we when we won the World Cup a couple of times. We had some great times when we lost it. Obviously, some big disappointments as well. Mm. At the end of the day, rugby for me is about the people. And, and it's about the fraternity of the game. And I think that is the most special thing about the game. And where people all around the world, you have this connection in the game that we played. And you know, I'll probably borrow a little bit from, was it JFK who said that this is not going to be great because it's easy, it's going to be great because it's difficult. I think yeah. uh, when, maybe when he got elected, I think it was something along those lines. But I think you're right. I, I think along the same lines, rugby is not a great game because it's an easy game. It's a great game because it's a difficult game. It's a great game because it's a complex game. So you have all these people. You can't just throw a group of people together and uh, and expect them to just gel as a rugby team. Yeah, unless they're you know very highly skilled and 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 whatever. Because there's so many combinations that you have to get right, mm. which means it's hard. But it means you you work really um, in a determined and a deep fashion to get a team going. Yeah. And so then when you do that, you, you build these great bonds. And I think watching the game, those of us who understand the game, which is all rugby lovers around the world, you you respect each other, I think, because of that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting point about the complexity of the game itself, which sometimes <laughs> we complain about, but it, it I think it attracts <laughs> um, complex people like Jean-Pierre Yves with his He's a poet. He's an artist. Um, yeah, he, he, yeah. And uh, I watched, uh, I was actually flying from Sydney to Wellington to see the box yeah. meet the All Blacks. Yeah, and I saw a, docu a documentary about you, John, and you were, you were, you were um, atoning or making amends for how you thought about the haka. But that wasn't the point. The point was when I watched the documentary, you were very thoughtful and you're walking around talking to people in a very humble way. And you're, bumping heads with people who are about a foot shorter than you and and learning from people. And I thought that was a very interesting documentary, unusual, because most old players want to talk about how great they were and, mm. and they were this and that and telling some raucous stories about the bar afterwards. And you, you were actually going uh, on a pilgrimage, if I may. Um, talk to me about that documentary because it stuck with me and uh, I actually tried to find it again before the show, but it was very well done. Oh, thank you very much. I, look, it, it meant a fair bit to me doing that. And uh, I'd done a few things with Discovery Channel in Australia and I suggested a few times to do this this story on the Harker because it, it went back to to that game in 1996, my first mm. test as captain against the All Blacks. And for a variety of reasons, we decided not to face the Harker. And I didn't fully agree with that. So the first lesson I learned is that you have to stand up for your, mm, yeah. have courage in your own conviction. And anyway, I take full responsibility for not facing it. And we lost by record score that day. Um, but, you know, teams have faced the Harker and teams haven't faced the Harker. And that's probably, you know, I think it's okay. And and I think less New Zealanders took offence by that than, than, than what you would think. You know, they said, oh, look, we can't dictate... What happens, but but I suppose for me it was going back over this journey and saying, what was it? What what can I learn from that? Look, what mm. what is the haka? Um, is the haka something that we should fear? Obviously, something we should respect. Is the haka something that gives the All Blacks an advantage, an unfair advantage before the game? And look, I I didn't think it did, mm. but 
to, to cut a long story short, because it was a it was a long journey, and I got Buck Shelford to take me through yeah, and teach me about what the Harker was, yeah. and and why it was important. And in in essence, the Harker is just a story. It was the biggest yes. thing I learned. But to me, where the penny dropped uh, was was when it basically found out that the the Harker was this story, but it was a story that all All Blacks connected to. And they've, you know, since, you know, it was the Kamati Haka and now it's the Kapoa Pango Haka. And, and they connect to it. They connect to where it comes from. They connect with the guy standing beside them. They connect as a team. They connect with yeah. the crowd. They connect with the country on, on, on a number of different levels. So for me, the penny dropped in realising the Haka is not a physical advantage. The Haka is an advantage in connection. But the great news about that is no team has a mortgage on connection. And... Yeah. Uh, and so the all, you know different teams have to learn how to connect in different ways, and for us it wasn't going to be doing a haka, but yeah. it was you know we had to find other ways. And and even if you look at the way that some teams face a haka, yeah they'll do it differently. But some teams you know learn to connect when they face a haka. And you know one of the most powerful I think was the Irish response to the haka when they beat the All Blacks for the first time ever at Soldier Field in Chicago. Mm. And it was not long before that, the Irish number eight, was it Anthony Foley um, passed away? Um, uh, yes, coach. yes, right. yeah, you're right, yes. Um, and uh, and and they, they formed a figure of eight to face the Harker and the captain stood in the middle of that figure of eight. They found a way to connect really deeply yeah. at the start of that game. And you saw it as soon as they got out there on the field. They were brilliant mm. the way they played that day. Now, maybe that Harker wouldn't have been the, the reason they won, but maybe it was part of the reason they won. It just gave them another reason to connect yeah. in, in, that, in that particular game yeah. and, and the way they, they handle it. So I think that's the most important. That, that was the most important lesson I learned. And, you know, the respect you need to play, uh, give to your opposition in different ways as well. Rugby on the Raw. John, when you do reflect on your career and that that truly great Wallabies team that you led, what what is the lasting memory that you take away? Probably the lasting memory is, is the resilience of that that team and look, I was part of two great Wallaby eras, yeah. and um, both eras, and then, and then I was a part of you know a pretty average era which I captained. Um, <laughs> and uh, but but those those two great eras, the the common thread was the resilience, the ability to to face whatever was thrown in front of you, mm. to face losing really key players at critical stages. Ninety one team lost Tim Gavin just before the World Cup. Yes, it did. Um, you know, 99, yeah, there were turnover. Now, we probably had a good run with injuries, I'm just sort of thinking, at that tournament. But um, but there were well, times 90, when... 99, it, Stephen Larkin had, had only just made the switch to, to, to number 10 mid-year, pretty much, wasn't it? Like, it was... Uh, it was 98. He started, 98 had gone. He started yeah, 98, yeah. yeah. yeah but, but it was a whole series of, you know, things you... you you, you you went through and then you you know you come through in the end and you you do it and I think our ability to to not get flustered in in really mm. key moments and uh, there's a Harvard academic 
I'm not sure if she's still working there, but she's Rosebeth Moss Kander, and she says, all change looks like a failure somewhere in the middle. Well, every game, of rugby, <laughs> oh, I like that. every game of rugby looks like a failure somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And it's in those moments where you have to, you know, control yourself or, you know, keep your level-headed, not yeah. panic, not get flustered, um, make good decisions, uh, you know, yeah, separate the noise from what's what's important, and uh, those, I think our team could do that really well. Yeah, those traits don't really associate normally with a twenty-one-year-old, twenty-two-year-old young man, especially you know you you came in young and you had success. You had the biggest success you could have in rugby, um, and you were so young. How did you handle fame? Did it bother you? Are you naturally a shy guy, extroverted guy? Like, how did that work for you at twenty-one, and the, and you didn't go off the rails? Uh, I was very fortunate in the family I was brought up in. Uh, you know, they, they'll bring you back down to earth very quickly. <laughs> like you, you go home and, you know, my youngest sister would pass a maths test. We had just beaten the All Blacks in a test and both, um, you know, both occasions were treated with the same deal of excitement <laughs> you know, in, in the house. Um, but, but it was always, you know, we were very grounded, very close as a family. I had a great group of friends inside and outside of rugby really good level-headed coaches that wouldn't let you get carried away uh john Connolly was a has mm. always been a great friend and um yeah he was a great coach and a great friend uh brothers rugby club was really grounding for me no one could get away with getting a big head when you go down to your local rugby club um and then having great coaches with the wallabies whether it be you know bob dwyer or rod mcqueen where we won the world cups or yeah, you know, Greg Smith as, as well yeah. in his own way. You know, Greg was the guy that made me captain and I'll always be thankful for that. And and he he tried to bring in some elements of, of rugby that ended up, I think, helping us win the World Cup about the, the way we played the game. And it was probably Rod that was able to, in the end, you know, really get the most out of us. But mm. Greg had some wonderful ideas and concepts and really pushed us and knew mm. that we had be better and really demanded that we had to be better it's just that we probably you know we had some you know some tougher times under him that was that failure in the middle yeah you did certainly i I think i look at the um the the footage of nick far jones getting the william webb ellis trophy and his reaction is just wow so what do you say when the queen hands you the william webb ellis trophy well, we, we, we received the trophy on the day of the referendum in Australia, which voted on whether we wanted to become a republic or not. Oh, right. In 1999. Was, so there was, was that there overlay. an awkward question? There was, a, there was that overlay. And uh, <laughs> no, so I was, I was wondering what she might say. But no, look, I mean, we had met her a few times before and she was very, uh, very gracious. Um, and uh, yeah, look, I mean, you don't really care who you get that trophy off, but to get it off, <laughs> like, uh, a historical figure yeah. who was so highly respected. Um, I went back to look at the, the the picture of John, and she's on her tiptoes. She's trying to. <laughs> 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 and this is the sort of detail we told you about, John. This is these are the questions that don't get asked enough of you. So, so here's the next one: Are you still buying Tolo Kefu beers? Uh, very happy to. Like, yeah, you know, de- definitely happy to buy him a beer whenever whenever he's around. But for years, everywhere we went, the beers were free. 
And um, so he kept saying I'd never bought him a beer. I'd got him a lot of beers, but I'd never bought him a beer. <laughs> You'd never had to pay for them. No, but it wasn't until <laughs> I happened to, maybe he was on tour one time. I think he was still playing. And I happened to walk past a bar in London where he was. And so I, look, I saw him in there and I walked straight in that bar. I didn't let him see me. I walked straight up and bought a beer and gave it to him. I said, now I've bought you this beer. You can't say that I haven't bought you a beer. <laughs> Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Thanks for winning that test all those years ago. <laughs> is on on him? Is he the man to lead Queensland after Brad Thorne moves on? Uh, I, I mean, Todd, I would have a you know would be a great guy to be involved mm. in in a setup like that. I could imagine, and he's coached Tonga. He's been involved in club rugby. Yeah. Um, I look. I, I don't know enough about what they're looking for in the current yeah. setup. But I, I tell you the, the thing, I, I would be disappointed if they don't have a really deep look at Mick Heenan, though. Yeah, okay. If you've got Mick Heenan who has coached university and, you know, cool. to numerous premierships yeah, over a yeah. long period of time. He's come into the squad and, you know, I mean, I, you don't know the ins, ins and outs if you're not involved, but you, you need to respect the pathways in these journeys. And yeah. Aaron Coleman's a great example for, for New yeah. South Wales. You know, he's taken on a team. Um, they're, they're showing development. You know, he's backing some young people. And, um, you know, hopefully he's going to get a, get a good result there yeah. as well. Yeah. Why, John, don't modern-day locks kick for goal anymore? Answer <laughs> yeah, that one for it's us. It's so weak, isn't it? It's so weak. <laughs> how, did, how did you become a goal kicker? I always kicked at school. I loved I loved yeah, just right. um, going down the park myself and just kicking and you know doing all those things. And it, uh, I think it was one of those. Uh, yeah, I think Queensland. It started with Queensland probably, or Colts at Brothers, but yeah, you know, that's a bit different. And then with Queensland, Michael Liner was the world's best goal kicker. Mm. He started to play in Italy, and because he had kicked for Queensland for so many years, no one else could kick. So I think they went through all the backs, um, <laughs> including Tim Hoare. If you ever, um, if you ever speaking with Tim, make sure you remind him that he was one of the people they went through who couldn't kick. We were, we've had Tim on before, so we will definitely bring that up when we next talk to him. Yeah, for sure. Bring bring it up. Um, and then it was John Connolly. He just said, "Mate, you're kicking." I said, "No, I'm not." He goes, "Yes, you are." And and I just couldn't get out of it. So that's how it started. Yeah, right. <laughs> what was the longest uh, goal you slotted? Uh, on on a game, in a game, look, there's probably a couple around the fifty or you know the, yep. in in that vicinity. You know, altitude might have helped. Look, I don't know if there's video footage of it, but uh, there we go. You know, whether it be in Argentina or or South Africa, I, look, I I can't remember. Training, right. obviously, you get a few longer ones and stuff. Yeah, so we've heard all the good things about you. You're a bloody good bloke. You're a Queenslander. You're a legend. You got an OMMA, whatever it is. Well, what's the naughtiest thing you ever did on the pitch? Tell us. Yeah. You're lot. This, right. is, forward. this is what we're here for it's tonight. Like, the statute of limitations are passed. It's okay. If you did an uppercut <laughs> uh, to Eddie Jones yeah. back in the day, it's fine. The siding commissioner will not be party to this. Uh, look, I don't know. I've, um, yeah, look, it's, I, I think all, one of the things about rugby, everyone tries to skirt the line, don't they, with a, with a lot of things. So right. you haven't, you know, if you if you haven't given away the odd penalty penalty in your time, you haven't been trying hard enough. But I don't know. There's there's probably a lot of examples. 
play is staying, KG, staying so true, KG. staying very true to the character. <laughs> was, did you did you ever receive a, a you wouldn't have received a red card? I'm sure. Did you ever, were you ever yellow carded? You know, I did get yellow carded once, and once there we you go. May not remember when this was, but in those days, a yellow card wasn't automatically ten minutes in the bin. So I actually never got ten minutes in the bin. I was yellow carded in the World Cup final in in 1999. Right. And, there were, and I didn't actually realise it till after the game because there was a guy, uh, I forget who it was, was grabbing onto me and I've just sort of gone like that to push him away. And the referee, I didn't I didn't notice, but apparently I did. Um, I'd like to go and check that. Yeah. So but, what, late, uh, late, in, late in the game, was it? Or? No, it was, I think it was early in the first half. I mean, but in those days, a yellow card wasn't a wasn't ten minutes. So yeah. it was just like an on on field foul, effectively. Yeah, I think so. Something like that. Oh, to be fair, go. John Eel's elbow might be a really good elbow because you you know you probably <laughs> had great aim and precision. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. the Queen tell well, you? I'm down, down my own memory here, but you got to check that. <laughs> Did the Queen say that? I'm sorry, my subject. You have a, a yellow card report. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't oh. comment on that. No. Oh, what what that. what did the Queen say? Do you remember? Uh, I could say she, she said something like, it was great that we could keep the trophy in the Commonwealth after the, uh, the, the, the Republic lost the referendum. But, uh, I think it was more something along the lines of congratulations. It's uh, you know, congratulations. It great thing. Oh, she was very gracious. Good, that's a good line. That's a very good line. So in the course of your career, you were, I think, 11 and 9. You were 11 wins and 9 losses against the All Blacks. And I, There's not that many people who played 20 tests against the All Blacks and have a, a winning record. Uh, I think on the Springboks, you are very similar as well, maybe. Um, it, it speaks to the idea of you know not being afraid to lose. Um, it speaks to the idea of this group you talked about that knew how to win a game uh, and the connection you had. Uh, what do you point that, how do you look back on that and say, you know, how can the Wallabies get to that point again where it's not such a shock to win the Bledisloe? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ways to win a game of rugby and 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 the better you get at finding those ways, the more consistently you can do it. Yeah. And I think what what we were able to do in those teams is understand what we were good at and what we weren't good at and how we could win a game and then just really working as hard as we could at being the best team that could win games the way we played. And, and I think that... Um, uh, however that was, like, and whoever, whichever players we had at our disposal at different times, I think, you know, I think our coaches were ahead of the game um, <laughs> at, very, at both stages when we won World Cups. I think John Connolly from Queensland's perspective was ahead of the game mm. with the Reds initially, and that certainly helped the Wallabies with Queensland, New South Wales so strong, and then it was Queensland and the Brumbies were so strong, probably the more dominant ones going into the 99 World Cup. Yeah, Rod McQueen was ahead of the game the way he he thought of things. And so it was as much the things you did off the field as the things you did on the field. Um, yeah, one prepared for the other. And and then having this great respect, not only respect for for your teammates but a, and respect for the opposition, but a, a, a really deep trust of yourself mm. and your teammates and your purpose and your plan. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, the the medal. It's it's it must be a tremendous personal honour to be recognised like that. Um, how 
how did it come about? How how early in the piece were you consulted? Did you try and talk them out of it? Um, <laughs> yeah, what, what was the reaction? Yeah, look, I mean, it probably goes against my grain a bit, but... Uh, like it does, it does feel very uncomfortable all, all the time, mm. and really so uh, in the early days. I mean, now you sort of you you roll a bit more with it, and, and it is a wonderful, wonderful honour. Um, yeah, and I always look at it as being, you know, reflective of of the the teams in the eras that I played, and yeah. um, you know, I don't think any Wallaby considers themselves above any other Wallaby, and. You know, when I was a kid growing up, I never thought I'd play for the Wallabies. Getting to play one test was was so, so very special. And uh, if if the teams we played in were able to enhance uh, how people felt when they came into the team, you know, to make them feel fantastic when they came in and they pulled that jersey on, and if we were able to to create us, yeah, and continue, probably not create, but really continue that great spirit in the Wallabies that Peter Fenton wrote about in his poem, there's a spirit mm. in the Wallabies, mere words can't describe. And, you know, I think he really summed it up. Um, and, uh, look, I, I really look at it as as an honour that that is representative of every Wallaby. It's not, yeah, it's yeah. Really not the thing that's about me. It's interesting you mentioned. It's interesting you mentioned the, the discomfort because I've heard Alan Border say something very, very similar that, that, that took him a good few years to get used mm. to the idea, and it was, and it was, it was something that he that he, that he did do. A, a last question I wanted to put to you, and I, I thought about this um, over the weekend. Suddenly, we look around, and there's there's Tom Liner at, at the Reds, there's Teddy mm. and Harry Wilson down at the Waratahs, and Angus Bell, Alex Horan and Finn Kearns are running around at San Diego over in the states. Angus Scott Young's obviously over in Northampton. There, uh, you know, sons of teammates. Uh, you know, if, if you know. Age should not weary them, but surely sons of teammates must. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it, like it's a, it's wonderful to see these mm. young guys coming through, and um, and you see glimpses of their their fathers in them. Um, yeah, Tom Liner more than more than probably all of more them. More than Actually, <laughs> Angus got young. He could he could be just cut off the the same block, couldn't he? That looks yeah. exactly like his dad, but. Um, Look, I think it's uh, yeah, it's great, and it's 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 exciting to see, and you hope they have a lot of success. Yeah. So, so John, obviously you're mentally sharp, and behind you, I see your books are arranged alphabetically and by color, <laughs> which is perfect for nobody. Um, but physically, are you okay? Do you have any? Uh, I mean, are there any things that nag at you? Or are you still able to run around and do things physically? Uh, yeah. Look, I'm in reasonable shape. Uh, I find that if I you know, I have the basic rule. I just train as much as I need to so I can eat and drink what I want to. And, you know, <laughs> That's I've basically excellent. followed that, that dictum since I've finished playing. And uh, and so, you know, that's, yeah. But, but look, I'll, as long as I stay reasonably fit, I don't mm. have any problems. Uh, I, I know you were for a long time. Are you still the captain of the Australian Sudoku team? Uh, no, I... Um, well, it's a it's a long story. But it's, uh, <laughs> I have I have represented Australia, but it's it's more a good fun, few yes. drinks, watch a bit of rugby, play a bit of Sudoku. I do love puzzling, but you know it's very yeah, sports. Right. But uh, and Sudoku is fun to do. But it's it it shows that I, I've caught way too many planes in my time because that's a good way to pass time. <laughs> in a plane. It, 
Is, is there something that you're that you're shit at? I mean, maybe like sure. how's your singing? Are you a good singer? Yeah, no good. No, there there's a go. lot of things I'm there not very is. good at. We found the flaw. We found it. We found it. Well, look, we found we found the flaw, John. That's 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 as good a point to, to wrap up as, as any. Thanks so much for, for giving us a bit of time and having a bit of a chat about rugby. It's been it's been so good to get into the the areas and the few curly questions that we wanted to throw at you, and you've been great to, to answer them all at us. Thanks so much for, for having a chat with us. It's a pleasure, Brent and Harry. Uh, keep up the good work. The Raw. Harry, just fantastic to have John Eels. Um, and we didn't tell, I mean, we did tell him that he's now the new Raw Boars captain elect. Um, <laughs> and he's taken he's taken that humble honor in his stride, which you'd expect of John Eels, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's his first podcast. So were you so were you nervous? Tell the truth. Uh, it's yeah, it's one of those ones. And it's um he was it was just so he was just so great to talk to. Uh, I think that's what it was, is we were nervous and then we started chatting with a guy. And then we're just talking about rugby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just like every other chat we've had. So um it wasn't I mentioned Alan Border in the in the pod and I found myself in a um in a like an like an empty box at a cricket world cup thing just like it was just like an overflow area um and i was often just sort of working away my way by myself there and and the other journals and commentators come and go and then one day alan border came in and i didn't know what to say to him like i was just <laughs> complete, completely starstruck and i just sat there and kept working in silence it was it was just the worst thing it was just the worst but that was that was a fantastic chat i really really yeah, so it was similar that. to rob Lowe. i was pete was the first time i met him as a boy in rugby yeah. and then i got to have a chat so same thing for you. I mean, what national hero? What I, what came through? Yeah. What came through really? And I think in these pods we get to know people pretty well because we're also speaking to them off air. Um, he's not full of himself. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. He really is who he definitely not appears to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, def- definitely not. Definitely not. Which was which was really good. No, really, really, really enjoyed that. Uh, the URC semifinals um, have been run and won. And if you do want to get to the nuts and bolts of it, I absolutely recommend that you find our uh, my friend of the pod, a good mate from South Africa, Rian Lowe, find his rugby rap for no other reason that he refers to the URC as the Irk, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is beautiful. So you mentioned it there. We're looking at the Stormers Munster final. Yeah, I mean that isn't that going to be something? That's strange. Not a bad shout to um, to actually have you know the first two years of the comp to have the finals you know come the Stormers' way. So yeah, yeah really, really uh, unbelievable match um, between Munster. Munster actually just wrecked the whole competition in the final four or five weeks. Just came in and found of nowhere and just keep marching, beating, giving people their first losses. Um, timing, timing. Yeah. And you Timing look at uh, who the common element in some of these upset, major upsets in, in the last five or six years has been Ty Byrne. Ty Byrne is a really yeah. undersung hero in Ireland. Yeah, it's a good uh, shout. He, for him, he was like, I know I could beat these guys, you know. And, mm. uh, and there was a chip on the shoulder for Munster, of course. Leinster also was trying to be a little bit um, uh, calculating with how they would feel these teams. And it worked. I mean, to be fair to them, it worked up until this weekend. Up until the point where it didn't. <laughs> as as is as is often the case. Now, obviously, the final uh, is not for two weeks because the uh, the Champions Cup final will be this weekend, um, also at the Aviva in Dublin. There's going to be a little bit of history there. Jaco Piper will become the first South African to referee a Champions Cup final um, where between La Rochelle and Leinster. So it's obviously his. 
first uh, first appointment at the Aviva since he red carded Freddie Stewart in the Six Nations game back in March. So I imagine he'll get a, a better response uh, this time around. Uh, I mentioned the uh, the Premiership; their, their semi-finals were played um, over the weekend as well. And uh, Saracens beating Northampton, I don't think, was too much of a surprise. But Sale Sharks knocking over Leicester twenty one thirteen was probably the biggest surprise there. Yeah, and I think the way that these teams won, you know, so you look at uh, yeah. Saracens yeah. had 40% of the, the ball, 40% territory. Um, Crusaders, the same kind of thing. Um, but actually, you know, the Munster, Stormers, they all play with less of the ball. It kind of ties back into Super Rugby, to be fair. Waratah, yeah. I think, had, you know, less of the ball. The Rebs, the Rebels had 60% of the ball. They yeah. they ran more, they kicked less, and they made um, a lot more passes. I think Queen, Queensland against the Chiefs. Yeah, conceding kick, turnovers kick uh, for, for everything. Yeah, conceding turnovers and not having a plan for when you lose the ball, which is going to happen in rugby, mm. uh, is what dooms these these teams. It looks good, it's good, it's uh, it's like you're full of energy. Uh, but I think even the Reds, the Reds showed the same thing of like we can make these tackles, and if we stay yes. connected, like John Neal said, you know, only six penalties given up by the Reds. Yeah, that's a tidy stat. Very yes. few teams only give up three penalties per half so yeah absolutely no it was it was a it was, it was quite it was a quite incredible performance and i mean eddie jones has been saying for a little while now that um that the possession's overrated <laughs> and it's it's sort of starting to to play out at uh, at a lesser level now isn't it so it's it's a it's an interesting one i think so we'll see how that all plays out going going forward from here the um the promotion relegation battles have been run and won in japan um and the short of it is that the Kentetsu Liners, which is Will Genia, a uh, friend of the pod, and, and, and Quade Cooper in particular, um, have survived their, their their battle. So they they stayed up. They've beaten the Ireasu D-Rocks, which is uh, Liam Gill and Israel Falau, and is where Samu Karevi is heading next season as well. So they stay mm. down in Division 2. Uh, Matt Totomua's Mitsubishi Dynabors won there. Uh, their legs against the Toyota Industry shuttles as well, so they'll stay up in Division One. Um, the Honda Heat go up from Division Two to um, to Division One, but um, but it come at the cost of another broken arm for Tom Banks. That's his Man, third, that's, third in about twenty-one months. At least that's such a pity. I do yeah. like the Japanese um, team names, though. It's like trains and avalanches yeah. and yeah um, yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, anyone can, anyone can be a knight, but not everyone can be a wild knight. <laughs> You know, everyone, anyway, we like we're boars, we're not dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> the nauseating <laughs> buffalo <laughs> that's the one, that's the one. Super Rugby Pacific, uh, round 13 this weekend, um, kicks off in Auckland on Friday night. Moana Pacifica against the Crusaders. Uh, the Reds and Blues will be the battle of the primary colors in Brisbane on Friday night. Then on Saturday, the Highlanders host the Melbourne Rebels down in Dunedin. The Chiefs and Hurricanes in Hamilton will be another ripping contest. And the Waratahs and the Fijian Drua in Sydney. And actually, there's a late game as well on Saturday night. The Western Force hosting the Brumbies over in Perth. So uh, a late night ahead of us for rugby fans. Uh, on the tipping front, mate, um, I'm still trailing by two. But our gap now is eight. 
Actually, I'm, I'm happy because I was tired of the number seven. I'm going to look now. I'm going to learn the magic of eight. Everything's about eight. Idea, right? Well, we've discussed eight. And, you know, that's that, that island harker response. <laughs> so, you know, there could be something in that. Uh, there'll be more tipping panel gold on the raw on Thursday as well. A little bit of news the last seven days. I've mentioned Yako Piper um, take, will take hold of the, uh, the Champions Cup final. Um, for viewers in Australia... Be in sport will be your friend for the Champions Cup final in the early hours of well, Sunday morning, I suppose it'll be, won't it? So um, so that will be a ripping game. Uh, Glasgow Warriors and the, and Toulon will meet in the Challenge Cup final as well. Uh, the We were waiting for the news, talking to Angus Gardner last week, the, the Rugby World Cup referees. Um, it came through on Wednesday. Of course, we, ne- we never get the timing very well, and, and, and it's a huge congratulations to... Uh, to Angus and to Nick Berry, particularly from the of, of the Australian referees amongst the the twelve picked there uh, on the Melbourne Rebels front, Monty Yuani could actually be on his way back to Europe. Um, he's was given a early release from Benetton to come back to Melbourne, but it looks like he might actually be heading back to Europe. And I actually think I saw Leon mentioned in France as his mm. likely uh, likely de- likely destination. And former Wallabies head coach, current Los Pumas head coach, and friend of the pod, Michael Checker. Was has been thrown into the mix for a switch to the NRL. The Sunday Telegraph in Sydney labelled him a back page shock candidate as an option for St George Illawarra if they happen to move on Anthony Griffin this week, as seems likely. But, mate, I think that is us done for episode 62 of the Raw Rugby Podcast. Don't forget Harry and I are on the socials, and Harry is going great guns if you are on the Twitter. Look, I'm there as well if you want something, you know, not quite so photogenic and serious as, as my co-host <laughs> will, let us, will let us throw but please do uh leave us a rating or a review on your pod platform if it allows it as well we've had another couple coming over the last week we're maintaining our five-star average which we love and we thank you all for it don't please forget to to like follow subscribe as well and make sure you get all the new episodes as it goes live and that will be particularly important uh come the international season when we start throwing instant reactions and things like that at you as well it's the raw rugby podcast with me brett mckay and harry jones every week on the raw.com.au australia's biggest sporting debate um, of all your favorite rugby analysis opinions and conversations thanks for listening we'll be back in your ears next week Big thanks to the shadowy underworld figure called Jehovah of Sydney, the manly man who helped us land the biggest guest ever. Come play with us.